Coming up on the Inside Indiana Business Television podcast, a hometown girl jumping into the driver's seat at global giant Cummins. Columbus born and bred Jennifer Rumsey's rise to the top and her plans for the company's future. Plus, showcasing Indiana's diverse businesses through the new Hoosiers in Action campaign and a new buzz around an Indianapolis-based firm that gave startups like the B Corp wings to fly. Now that company is getting ready to take off under new leadership. Christopher Day shares his vision for what's next at Elevate Ventures. And we'll talk about the week's biggest stories with our partners at the IBJ. Welcome to the Inside Indiana Business Television Podcast. I'm Alex Brown. Our top story this week, for the first time in Cummins' more than 100-year history, a woman will lead the company. Columbus native Jennifer Rumsey was selected to succeed Tom Leinbarger as president and CEO. She joined Gary Dick in studio to share more. And congratulations. Uh, it's a big, obviously a big move that has been in the works, I know, for, for a while. But I have to ask you, Thinking about this, Columbus native, you grew up there in the shadow of, of, of Cummins, went to Purdue University for your undergraduate uh, degree. Personally, uh, this moment being named CEO at Cummins, uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, th- thanks, Gary. It's a really exciting and mm-hmm. you know really moving moment for me personally and an exciting mm-hmm. moment for Cummins. Mm-hmm. Growing up in Columbus, Indiana, as you said, around Cummins, I would have never imagined yeah. I would be here today as yeah. the next CEO of Cummins, just the seventh in, in our history. And as you noted, the first female in my life and leadership has really led me mm-hmm. to this moment in time. My career has been shaped by a focus on three things, purpose, people, and impact. Mm-hmm. It's what led me from my engineering degree to start at a fuel cell technology company and then come back to Indiana and Cummins because I wanted to work on technology that really mattered to the mm-hmm. environment and to customers. And we've had tremendous impact in the work that we've done in my more than 20 years at Cummins. We're at a critical point for our planet, and I think for Cummins history, Mm -hmm. with climate change and with the challenges in the world. And we have a really unique opportunity to step up to that challenge Mm -hmm. and make a big difference. And I'm excited to lead the company as we do that. You mentioned the environment uh, and climate change. You view that as not an impediment from a business standpoint in Cummins, but as an opportunity? Definitely. We see decarbonization as a growth opportunity for Cummins. And just as we embrace the need to reduce emissions from diesel engines, we're embracing the need in our role, serving some of the world's most demanding and also economically vital applications and decarbonizing them. Mm -hmm. We call that strategy destination zero. Mm -hmm. It requires our entire business advancing engine-based solutions. At the same time, we accelerate technologies that can get us all the way to zero. Mm -hmm. And that strategy that Tom and I developed together will be a key part of what we Mm -hmm. focus on as we go forward. Making a big bet uh, on the electrification, if you will, electric vehicles in the commercial vehicle space, acquiring Meritor, that deal in the works, $3.7 billion deal. Talk about that focus uh, and what that will mean for for the company. So Meritor specifically, we're excited to welcome that that uh, company into Cummins. Very complimentary to us when you think the products that they offer and axles and brakes and extending the powertrain and the e-axle is a key mm-hmm. technology for electrification. Mm-hmm. The reality is for our markets, it will take a range of different solutions. So we're really focused on positioning the company with these key, key technologies and solutions for our customers and helping them navigate this period of technology change. Mm-hmm. And Cummins is pretty uniquely positioned to do that. We understand those customers, their needs, how they use the product, 
and we have a whole portfolio of solutions, mm -hmm. which in commercial and industrial equipment will all be a part of getting to zero. Mm -hmm. A number of elements, I think, to uh, you being named CEO, among them the fact I think you are one of now just 34, 35 women CEOs among the, the S&P 500. Talk about that uh, piece of it and, and being a female to lead this major industrial company. Yeah, I have reflected on that. And, and you know, as I sit here, I said my life and leadership led me to this moment. My technical and business background at Cummins, uh, the focus on advancing technology and translating in that into results for our customers and our business really led me to this point and makes me the right CEO for Cummins. Mm -hmm. And I'm becoming the seventh CEO for Cummins because I'm the right person at this time to lead the company. I'm proud that I'm the first woman to, to, mm -hmm. to have that role and to break that glass ceiling, if you will, yeah. for Cummins. We're deeply committed to diversity and inclusion, and it's important for our business and also to me personally to continue that journey to mm -hmm. ensure all people, regardless yeah. of what they look like or where they came, came from, can set big goals and reach them. Yeah, only have about 30 seconds left, Jennifer, but a message you might have. 60,000 Cummins employees globally, 8,000 or so here in Indiana, such an important company for the state. Your message to, to those Hoosier employees. Yeah, I would say we have an exciting future, 103-year-old company, our focus on destination zero and decarbonization of our industry. My focus on purpose, people, and impact will guide how I lead. and. One of my focuses will be really thinking about people at the center, our customers, our employees. We have a tremendous workforce and exciting opportunities, and I'm committed to continuing to invest and give them opportunities. Jennifer Rumsey is the incoming CEO at Cummins. Jennifer, uh, again, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Gary. All right. There's a new statewide initiative to highlight diverse Hoosier businesses. For this first leg of the Hoosier Business in Action Initiative, 22 businesses from around the state have been selected for their stories of inspiration, resilience, and empowerment. Each business represents a historically underrepresented population of either minority, women, veteran, or individual with disability ownership. For more on the campaign and what it's all about, Indiana's first ever Chief Equity, Inclusion, and Opportunity Officer Kara Herring joins the show. Well, hey, we want to talk about this campaign, but first talk a little bit about you, because yeah. you are the state's very first Chief Equity, Inclusion, and Opportunity Officer. Uh, talk about your mission, your vision, and what you want to accomplish. You've been on the job almost for two years now. What's uh, what's your, your vision? Yeah, well, a lot of a lot of words in that title, but right. we're doing some really great stuff. And it really started with a conversation with Governor Holcomb and his team around how we look at equity and inclusion within the state of Indiana. And specifically looking at how we just advance quality of life for all Hoosiers through some initiatives around education, economic development, even looking at quality of life through healthcare, mm -hmm. food scarcity, different things that really challenge the social determinants of health with some of our Hoosiers. Mm -hmm. And then looking at how we remove the barriers to increase positive aspects of access to those areas. Yeah. Uh, a little bit about your back background. You are a Hoosier, right? Through and through. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm born and raised in South Bend, Indiana. Went to uh, Purdue University for undergrad, boiler yeah. up, and then yeah. went on to Valparaiso University School of Law for law school, and then worked at the University of Notre Dame for just yeah. shy of a decade before joining Governor Holcomb's team. Yeah, now working on this statewide initiative, let's talk about a Hoosier Business in Action campaign. Yes. What it's all about, because you are really highlighting, again, 22 businesses of all sizes uh, representing really every corner of the state. That's 
That's right. And we did 22 for 2022, worked with the Indiana Economic Development Corporation and the State Department of Agriculture to look at businesses that represented a range, wide range of our Hoosier economy, uh, rural businesses, suburban businesses, urban businesses, all under the categories of either veteran, minority, women, or individual with disability owned. Yeah. So you're recognizing these companies, certainly, but they're going to get something out of this, too. That's right. Uh, in terms of visibility and marketing uh, uh, content and the state benefits, too, by telling those stories. Talk about how that uh, that win-win works. That's right. So the real win for the businesses, some of them are smaller, and so they don't have marketing teams. Our team has hired an Indiana videographer team, and they're going to be creating video profiles, photo profiles, sharing their stories about how they got to where they are today. Mm -hmm. And then those businesses will be able to use that content to push out on their own social media to really show the products and services they provide. And then we'll push it out on our websites and our social media as well. But for me, you know, my good friend Elaine Beadle, who's running the Indiana Destination Development Corporation, we talk about how we really want to make Indiana as attractive as possible. And so showing the diverse range of our economy and how people can come here and live a good quality of life is critical. So people can come here not just to visit, but to stay. Right. Right. Ultimately, and this is the first year for this 22 uh, companies, but in terms of success, how you how you view success, maybe two, three, four years down the road, what will that yeah. look like? Well, a couple of things that this continues, right? We're trying to lay the, right. the, the foundation for the sustainability, but we're hoping by highlighting these types of businesses, we will see more organizations, our anchor institutions, our large corporations, even the state of Indiana, because we got to be accountable too, contract more with these types of businesses, really hoping that we can help scale up some of these businesses. Maybe this is the first time they get this type of exposure, and three years from now, maybe important Joe's Ethiopian Coffee is in all types of hospitals and, and colleges and universities. And so we really want to help them grow. Yeah. Focus on diverse uh, Hoosier businesses. Kara Herring is the state's chief equity uh, officer uh, from the uh, Office of uh, Equity, Inclusion and Opportunity. A lot of words there. Great to have you on the show. and look forward to having you again. Thank Thank you. you. Remember, you can catch Inside Indiana Business Television on stations throughout the state every weekend. Head to InsideIndianaBusiness.com to check listings. He's been a name and a mover in the Indiana tech industry for years, most recently as CEO and co-founder of Demand Jump. Now Christopher Day has a new role. He's the new CEO of Indianapolis-based Elevate Ventures. He joins Gary to talk about his new role, why he's taking it on, and what he wants to accomplish. Hey, why did you do this? Uh, you know, you're very engaged and involved in the tech community. Uh, started several companies, Demand Jump, uh, the last uh, big venture. Why take uh, take on this role at Elevate? You know, I've been passionate about this issue, about the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Indiana for the past 15 years. And I, I think about all the great things we have going on in this state, but the, the centralization or pooling capital um, has always been kind of one of our, our, our points of a, a failure, right, or a nemesis, and needing to move up the funding continuum, right, be involved more in our winners of winners in the growth equity phase, um, while still powering, you know, new company starts, which, is we're, which we're falling behind in. So we've been passionate about it for 15 years. And um, just really excited yeah. to uh, to be a part of it moving forward. Hey, give us a thumbnail description for those who don't know uh, about Elevate Ventures, but what Elevate Ventures does, what its mission is. Yeah, absolutely. So Elevate Ventures, it's a venture development firm, um, and they invest in startups um, and involved in incubation all the way through acceleration into early stage companies. And so that can be someone who has an idea that they're trying to uh, mentor to start that company. Um, initial funding, it could be as little as 20000 to $50,000, and then mentoring them into their early stages and, and in, you know, investing in future rounds, early stage rounds, 
um, you know, up to a million dollars. Your predecessor, uh, Chris Lamoth, uh, did a lot to grow uh, the organization, really put a focus uh, statewide, I think, uh, too, to look at look at companies and startups and uh, innovation uh, in all corners of the state. How important is that to you? And is that part of your uh, mission going forward? Absolutely. It's 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 a critical foundation. What Chris Lamoth and the team here at Elevate have built uh, specifically over the last seven years and then Elevate as a whole, you know, over the last 10 years is just nothing short of phenomenal. Uh, Elevate has deployed uh, nearly $140 million into the entrepreneurial ecosystem throughout the state of Indiana and in, in, uh, roughly 475 companies. And we now have uh, EIRs that, um, that that reside in, in nearly all four corners of the state now. And you know, in really pulling everyone together to pull on that same rope, so that we can um, so we can help all the ecosystems throughout the state. What, what, in your view, is 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 the real opportunity here as you look at Indiana from a VC uh, venture capital standpoint? Uh, in the Midwest, seems to be competitive, but a lot of challenges too. Uh, what's your take on uh, the landscape? Yeah, so my, my take on the landscape is about a concept called the productivity boom. The productivity boom is, is about the collision of data and technology with all industries. And so that leads me to, to think about Indiana is actually the nation's nucleus. The nation's nucleus requires seven ingredients to make that claim. Uh, number one would be infrastructure. Number two is talent. Number three is mission critical industry. Number four is technology. Uh, number five is cost of living. Number six is lifestyle. And number seven is regulatory environment. And we have number one rankings or top five rankings in every single one of those categories. And the, the biggest gap we have remaining is an, a silent export called wealth. Mm-hmm. So we take all the risk in Indiana and we invest in all the early the startups and the early stage companies. But when those companies really break out and start growing, we don't have any uh, participation, virtually none, uh, mm-hmm. no participation in the growth equity stage of the funding continuum. And that's how I think about Indiana and the opportunity that we have in front of us. All right. Christopher Day is the new CEO at Elevate Ventures. Uh, Tofa, is always uh, great to see you. And uh, we look forward to following your story and uh, your venture at Elevate Ventures. Thanks. Thank you, Gary. We'll see you soon. All right. I think it's safe to say for all you sweets lovers out there that any way you slice it, it doesn't get much better than the bite of rich, velvety, smooth, homemade cheesecake. And the real thing can be hard to find. But around Indiana reporter Mary Rachel Redmond says she found it unexpectedly right in the heart of Indianapolis. Meet the Cheesecake Lady. Who do you think will have back? By day, Cassie Smith-Johnson works for an insurance company as a provider network coordinator. By night? Well, let's just call her Indy's Cheesecake Fairy. See the crunch there and crunch there on top. And it's just strawberry crunch cheesecake. Cassie Smith Johnson is a wife and mama four. And just to give you an idea of the sacrifice, Smith Johnson met me here at 10 o'clock. Here she is just walking behind me and ready to bake. So how exactly did all of this get started? Pretty much started from a social media post on Facebook. One of my Facebook friends made a post asking if somebody could make a banana pudding cheesecake. And I responded. I made a post of the, a picture of the cheesecake. And once I posted it, I got a lot of feedback asking from other uh, Facebook friends asking to make them cheesecakes. And that's how it just blossomed from there. I got so busy with them that I just decided I would make a business and I'm here now. In 2021, Smith Johnson joined Indy's Kitchen, a 24-hour commercial kitchen where entrepreneurs can rent space by the hour. It's for restaurants like myself who either 
don't have the means to, you know, uh, have the equipment on a build out as far as a new, their own location or someone who also maybe just doesn't want to have their own uh, brick and mortar. And with brick and mortar rapidly becoming a thing of the past, the future appears to be businesses selling direct to the consumer. D2C sales have more than tripled in the U.S. over the last six years. So where does Smith Johnson get the majority of her business? It's due to my engagement on social media the platforms. Um, Instagram, I, if I'm not posting daily. I have a sponsor post, you know, constantly engaging my customers, showing them what I have, promoting my business hours. I actually speak directly to the customers. I respond to them. In the inbox, you know, I'm going back and forth making jokes on the actual posts. Now to the fun part. From Cheesecake Bites. We have cookies and cream, cheesecake bites, and banana pudding cheesecake bites. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that was really good. I'm not even, I was waiting for the tape. <laughs> that was really good. Oh. Mm. These are your infamous 16 ounce tacos. Tacos, yep. That's cherry here, mm -hmm. um, tres leches, mm -hmm. chocolate peanut butter, wow. strawberry shortcake, strawberry crunch, turtle, which is chocolate caramel and pecans. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. Are you taking a big scumful? <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, and yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, you know, bite. That's good stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. After two years in business and continuing to grow, I asked the cheesecake lady what she's most proud of. Just sticking with it. Because anyone who has owned and operated a business, there are seasons where it's up and down and the lows kind of hit really hard and they can be very, very discouraging. But really, I'm really proud of myself for just not giving up in the moments where I felt like I needed to or that I should. I figured out how to just keep it level and keep it balanced and make it work. And it's, it's going really, really well. I'm really, really proud of that. Akila Darden is blazing a trail in many ways and on many levels. She's an African-American entrepreneur, owns and operates an Indianapolis-based construction business in an industry traditionally dominated by men. And on this week's Eye on Education segment, Akila joins Gary to share more on the Darden Group and its mission to get more minorities in the construction industry. And congratulations. We had you on a few weeks ago. You won a Mira Award uh, for your efforts, and uh, that was uh, very worthwhile uh, as well. 20-plus years in the construction business. Uh, a business, again, typically dominated by, by white males. You made your way through that industry. And then a couple of years ago, formed the Darden Group. Give us a thumbnail description of the Darden Group. We are a construction management and training firm specializing in large, complex commercial projects. And what do you do? I mean, you're, you have a real mission uh, to, to really uh, increase uh, minority uh, and underrepresented participation in the industry, right? Absolutely. So I've built almost $2 billion in construction efficiently and effective. So that's on time and under budget. So in 2019, the city of Indianapolis had a disparity study and they showed the disparities with diverse vendors in construction, um, whether it was upskilling or just not ready for the contracts available. Mm -hmm. And I knew after building so many projects in 15 markets, 
architect is that I had the solution. Mm -hmm. I just needed to get it to the right people and the diverse vendors. And I had owners that wanted to find those contractors to do well with the um, communities that they were building in. What, what's the secret? What was your idea and, and the way you got things done when maybe others didn't? So the secret is one, having an owner that's intentional about uh, diversity. And um, the secret for me is being intentional with the conversations for equitable outcomes, not equitable opportunities, but outcomes to where they get to the table, they're successful, they grow, and they have equitable opportunities after mm -hmm. the project. Yeah, and you, I know, have landed several really high profile uh, jobs, among them Cook Group's manufacturing facility here on the near northeast side of Indianapolis, building a uh, grocery store in, in addition to that. I know you're do, doing work with IU Health as well. Absolutely. Um, so Pete Yonkman, president and CEO of Cook Medical, he gets it. Mm -hmm. um, he had a goal of 100% participation um, on the Far East side. But not only that, to get the workforce engaged and building. And he entrusted this uh, solopreneur, entrepreneur, to make those goals, not just 100% of our diverse vendors and construction, mm -hmm. but also getting people in the industry that look like the community. And so because of the success of that project, um, IU Health called me to be their director of diversity and inclusion. They have a goal of 30 percent uh, diverse uh, vendors downtown and 25 percent. So in six years, that equates to a billion dollars spent with diverse businesses, as well as increasing the diverse workforce. Wow. That's uh, those are some big numbers. And I know you've got a number of initiatives going on that you are involved in the ACE mentor program in Indiana is one of them. Yes, we're 16 years in. I'm now serving another two years, so second term as the president, board of directors. And I would like to say, um, I'm, I'm tired of talking about barriers. Let's talk about solutions. So one of them, the ACE mentor uh, program provides high school students with information about architecture, construction, and engineering, and all of their options. And then we go through, train them on the fields, and then we do a project and then they get to present the project to industry professionals, to their parents, teachers, as well as to the trades. Yeah. And that takes away the barrier of um, finding people to get into the industry. Mm -hmm. And we teach them not only the technical skills, but also how to uh, public speak mm -hmm. and um, get your voices heard through your design. Yeah, I should also mention uh, author among your job uh, titles. And you're out with a book next week. Uh, my mom is a construction manager. Tell us about the book and what you're hoping to accomplish. Yeah, so it was inspired by my four kids. They talked about my career. I heard them over speaking at one of the PTO meetings. And I was like, you know what? What they see is what they'll be. Let's put that into a book and talk about the pathways through construction, um, how I love puzzles and uh, math, all the way through going to a historically black college and building skyscrapers in DC. And that was another barrier. I don't see myself doing construction. So what we do, we put it into the book and we also have an Instagram live feed on the construction project to show individuals you can do it and this is how you do it. A lot going on at the Darden Group. Uh, and again, the book, My Mom is a Construction Manager, uh, debuts next week. Akilah Darden, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. Mimi Pierce was the voice of traffic in central Indiana for more than 30 years. And she is this week's guest on our Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. Subscribe for free from your favorite podcast provider.
Anderson's Carl Erskine made a name for himself in Major League Baseball, but it was what he did off the field that has sealed his legacy as one of the greats. The Indiana baseball legend who embraced the virtues of diversity and inclusion long before they became part of the American consciousness will have his remarkable life profiled in an upcoming documentary. Bill Benner has details in this week's Inside Indiana Sports. So that man is Anderson's Carl Erskine, perhaps best known for his World Series winning and no-hitter throwing career with the Brooklyn and Los Angeles Dodgers, but Erskine has had a much greater impact on humankind in the aforementioned areas of diversity and inclusion, and his essence has been captured by the superb documentary filmmaker Ted Green, whose previous works include Holocaust survivor Eva Kaur, Indiana Pacers legend Bobby Slick Leonard, and the lasting impact of Indianapolis Christmas High School. And joining us today to discuss the best we've got, the Carl Erskine story, is Ted Green. And Ted, welcome to the program. Bill, thank uh, you so for, much. For anybody that might not know, can you give us just 30 seconds on who Carl Erskine is and his wife, Betty? It's tough in 30 seconds yeah. with a 95-year-old guy, but <laughs> at 95, Carl and Betty, they live in Anderson. Carl is the last man standing of the Brooklyn Dodgers' fabled Boys of Summer in the 1940s and 50s, made especially famous by Jackie Robinson. Carl's career was remarkably colorful in probably the most transformative time in the game's history. But the bigger impact of Carl's, he is truly one of the great human rights champions of our time, especially in terms of diversity and inclusion with his son Jimmy and all they've done for Special Olympics. Well, and it started with Jackie Robinson. Well, it started with Johnny Wilson, his boyhood friend, and Anderson, who later became Mr. Basketball, but then Jackie Robinson and breaking the color bearer in Major League Baseball, and then his son, Jimmy, and, and really beginning the Special Olympics movement here in Indiana, in particular, uh, for people with disabilities. Yeah, yeah, let me give you a headline about Carl Erskine. And this is, this is a remarkable to discover this in all the research. Indiana has gone from being arguably the single worst state in the union in the treatment and acceptance of people with special needs to today arguably the very best. And the people who would know, they go all the way back with Special Olympics Indiana, they go all the way back with the Arc of Indiana, say the number one reason for that worst to first turnaround is number 17. Carl Erskine, and that is what we're going to bring out in this film. And the film will premiere at Anderson, Indiana, appropriately, at the Paramount Theater, sold out, uh, and I know you can't wait. I, I absolutely can't wait. This is the same theater where Carl would sit up in the balcony with his best friend Johnny Wilson, because Johnny Wilson, as an African-American, wasn't allowed to sit down in the main floor, and this is the 1930s. Here we are, 2022, the film, the premiere sold out more than a month in advance, such that they now have an encore. The, the premiere is August 11th, the encore is August 13th, and the Indianapolis premiere is August 18th at Newfields, put on by Heartland. So yeah, it's very, it's sort of a head-spinning time right now. Uh, disclaimer, I am on the board of Special Olympics Indiana. Uh, this will have a special tie, no pun intended, to Special Olympics Indiana. Also, there's going to be a school program called EPIC with a curriculum developed for various grade levels. I mean, this is going to be all-encompassing in many, many ways. And I do have to thank my partners, Indianapolis Histor Indiana Historical Society. They are my co-producers and Special Olympics Indiana. And let me tell you, Special Olympics Indiana is running with this. 
We call it EPIC, the Erskine Personal Impact Curriculum. We are offering these materials, kind of like with EvaCore, free to every school in the state. And let's put it this way, we've already taken orders for more than 70,000 books that we have created about Carl Erskine to teach his values of humility, of servant leadership. And uh, you know, I don't, it's hard to imagine anybody better to learn about or learn from. Uh, Dan Carlers. And as we wrap up, if people want to learn more about additional screenings, anything about the the film, where can they go? They can see the they can see the uh, the trailer. They can buy tickets. All that stuff at carlerskinefilm.com. Well, Ted, you've done ex exceptional work in the past, and I know this will rise to the occasion of Carl Erskine. Again, I, I've known the man for many, many years, and he is truly an exceptional human being. Ted, thanks for being on the program. I really appreciate All it. Right. IBJ Media is out with its inaugural Indiana 250. It's a list of the state's most influential and impactful businesses and community leaders representing public and private companies, law firms, universities, nonprofits, and many more. For more on the list and what it's all about, IBJ editor Leslie Weidenbenner joins the show. This, uh, I know uh, uh, firsthand, is a, is a, is a uh, big work, a big piece of work uh, coming out uh, uh, late in the week. The Indiana 250, give us a thumbnail of what it's all about. Well, Gary, as you know, we've been working on this for months. Uh, this was a, our goal was to name some of the most influential and impactful leaders across Indiana. And we had several things that we set out to do. One was to recognize a diversity of types of industry types of people. So some of the folks on the Indiana 250 list are leaders in their community. Some are leaders in their industries. Others are state leaders. And we wanted to make sure that we represented all parts of the state. So you're going to see someone like the CEO of Barry Global in Evansville, Tom Salmon on the list, along with uh, Chuck Serac, who most people know as the founder of Sweetwater, but is now doing big economic development projects in Fort Wayne. So we, we really run the gamut across the state of Indiana. Yeah, I really think this is the first year, of course, but I really think this can be, become uh, uh, quite a thing, uh, if you will. And you mentioned statewide, and I think that's an important piece of this. A lot of representation here in central Indiana, to be sure, but very much a statewide list. Absolutely. You know, one of the things we're trying to do at IBJ Media is we have three brands now, of course, Inside Indiana Business, the Indianapolis Business Journal, and Indiana Lawyer, which is a statewide publication. And we really want to break out of just covering Central Indiana. You know, we want to keep doing what works for us in Central Indiana. We think Central Indiana is core to the state and core to what we do. But we also want to do more in other areas as well. So it was important to uh, you know, engage people in those other areas of the state. And yep. this is one way that we're working to do that. Hey, hey before we leave, uh, a story of innovation and entrepreneurship with a unique twist. Some Indiana entrepreneurs uh, have put together a cornhole scoreboard. Tell us about that. Yeah, these are a couple of guys who work in Muncie who got together there. They thought that there just had to be a better way to keep score in Cornell. If you've ever played, you know that half the time you spend uh, trying to figure out who's ahead, who's behind, what the score is. And so they've created a great um, LED board uh, that lights up, that helps you keep score. And they're in a Kickstarter campaign right now to do it. So it's going to be fun to watch and see how well that goes. Filling a need. Very good. Leslie Weidenbenner, as always, thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. Thanks so much. It's time now for a deeper dive into some of the week's top stories with our insiders panel. Our panelists include Mary Beth Oaks, CEO of Business Furniture and Corio, Abdul Hakim Shabazz, publisher at IndiePolitics.org, and Mike Marker, Managing Director of Vox Global. 
We will start out with more big news uh, from Purdue. A number of big announcements this year, among them the fact that Mitch Daniels will be stepping away. But when I asked him, Mike, a couple of weeks ago, what's next? He said, well, I've got some announcements I'm going to be making at Purdue. And I think this maybe was one of them. Okay. $1.8 billion. uh, Skywater Technology, Minnesota-based semiconductor uh, company, building an R&D facility, fabrication facility, 700, I think 750 jobs. Big, big news. Yeah, big announcement. Uh, congratulations to Purdue uh, on this, and their Discovery Park. Lots of really good things happening up there. I think this news is, is broader than Purdue uh, when you look at what other institutions are doing as well uh, with IU and Notre Dame and mm-hmm. Ivy and Rose. They've, they've come together as a group to try to address this global semiconductor shortage. And I think it's important on a number of levels in our everyday lives with our cars and things like that. But I think for our state, it's critically important and our national security for, for defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I saw a study that said 12% of the semiconductors come out of the U.S., but almost all of our defense weaponry, new mm-hmm. ones especially, have semiconductor chips in them. So it's a real big national security issue. And so uh, the work happening around this to up our game and output is really important. And an opportunity for Indiana uh, in a big way. Uh, Absolutely. I think A a big opportunity. And I I just love the way that it just continues that trend of attracting the most innovative minds, the most innovative businesses. I love, you know, Mitch Daniels and his entrepreneurial spirit that drives that innovation and and really attracts that type of company. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you if you think about, you know, Skywater and what they can accomplish and and the other partners that they're going to attract by their presence there, it's Mm -hmm. it's exciting. I think it means more to come. Yeah. And to dovetail off that, what Mitch Daniels has accomplished. Uh, uh, aside from the academic side, uh, on the business side, yes. if you will, and the investment that has been made continues to be made. And I think this is another kind of a snowball effect. Exactly. Look at all the investments they had to make when Mitch Daniels was governor from 2004 to 2012. We're now starting to see some of the, mm-hmm. some of the end results of a lot of that. Like I said, my only concern is, once again, do we have the workforce and the education, the skill set to go and deal with like whether the, mm-hmm. the job's up in Lafayette or up in Boone County and the whole nine yards? Yeah. Uh, speaking of jobs, uh, Green Jobs, a report out this week from a nonprofit based in Los Angeles, uh, pegging uh, demand for green jobs in Indiana uh, to, to increase nearly 30 percent over the next five years. That's a big number. The national average is something like five or six percent. So, Mike, and Mike, you, we were talking off camera. You think that might be under yeah. estimating? I, I'd be really surprised if they haven't underestimated that number here. And to Abdul's point, where are we going to get the workers? When you think about uh, the green job evolution and two of the biggest sectors that's happening are agriculture and manufacturing. Two of our biggest sectors are agriculture and manufacturing. Yeah. So when you think about green job growth, a lot of it's going to happen here and we're going to have to have the workforce to meet that demand. And then even like the green enabled jobs right. Yeah, that, right. that where the upskilling mm-hmm. can happen, right? That it can impact maybe folks in the trades too, yeah, right? For sure. With the right upskilling, you know? Is part of it uh, too, in terms of uh, fueling that pipeline, kind of an understanding of what these jobs are? It and is. And be able to get the, the training It is, for trying it. to figure out who, who really is impacted and who, you know, where do we offer them those mm-hmm. those additional skills that they need, yeah. right? But yeah. it, it, to me, it looks like it's coming in two different layers. I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Action at the State House, Abdul, right? Oh. Uh, special <laughs> session. Oh, oh, yay. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Looking forward to Monday morning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on a number of fronts. Among them, uh, news this week that kind of got bare. I, I haven't seen a lot about it, but uh, Senate, uh, the Senate coming over with its own plan, kind of ditching uh, the governor's plan for a tax refund. Give us. 
Uh, yes, uh, the senators had always expressed concerns about the governor's tax refund. You get, you get a tax refund if you pay taxes, but there are a lot of folks who are productive citizens but don't necessarily pay tax, like senior citizens, mm -hmm. folks on disability income. And so what the Senate did was they scrapped the governor's automatic tax refund plan, the $225 plan, and said they uh, froze the government of the tax on utilities, uh, froze the gas tax and the sales tax on gasoline. So that'll, put, that'll help Hoosiers fight inflation, also reach more people, particularly those individuals who don't pay taxes. Now, on the House side, they've still got the automatic tax refund in there, and the governor still wants, so we've got to have a lot of back and forth between now and August 14th when they technically have to adjourn. Yeah, and that's not even bringing up uh, the whole abortion issue, which obviously was initially the reason the special session was called in the first place. Right? Uh, there are expected to be thousands of protesters at the State House uh, yeah. next week, so here we go. Yeah, and Mike, you made the point that the, the abortion reproductive rights issue is a business issue. Yeah, it can it's, be. It, it's an issue on a number of fronts, and, and business and our economy is one of those, right? I mean, you look at, is this a RIFRA 2.0 in some ways, where some employers will say, we're not moving jobs to that mm -hmm. state because mm -hmm. of legislation mm -hmm. uh, uh, that they might take, uh, this action they might take. And it's also a jobs and an economy issue because uh, employers who are here that want to attract and retain talent, many of them are going to have to step forward uh, if action is taken by this General Assembly. Uh, to pay for their employees to seek reproductive care in other states. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's going to cost them as well. Yeah. Uh, big news uh, in the last uh, week or so, a leadership change uh, at Cummins. Only the seventh CEO in the company's uh, history. Jennifer Rumsey uh, will take over uh, that role from Tom Leinbarger, who will remain as chairman. Uh, Rumsey is only, I think, uh, uh, Mary Beth, 30 or 34, 35 female CEOs yes. in the S&P 500. Right. So she's among an elite group, slowly growing group. But your take on this, because we had her on the show at the top of the show, very excited about it. Grew up in Columbus uh, in the shadow of Cummins. Never imagined, she said, that she could one day be there, but here she is. I just think, I think it's a great story for females everywhere. You know, I, I've always been very impressed with Cummins' approach to mentoring female leaders. They've been a partner of ours for many years, and, and I love just watching how they mentor female leaders. So when I heard about this promotion, I was super excited. I think I, I just want to congratulate her. I think it's a whole new era for their company. But, you know, like we were talking about earlier, they've always looked at things a little bit differently. And I think this is just another example mm -hmm. of how they're trying to do that. And, and, and if you look at their company core values, it's all about, you know, diversity and inclusion. And so I think they really do live what they mm -hmm. tell you that they believe. Yeah. And that's just a good example. Yeah. And Mike, back to your point on the environment, she, uh, Jennifer Rumsey made the point that they view uh, climate change, the environment as opportunity, not a, an impediment to business, but they view it as a growth vehicle potential. Yeah, they've been really smart on that front for a number of years now. Tom led that charge. Jennifer certainly played a key role in it as COO there. So I think in this new role, you're going to see more of it. But when you look at environment, ESG, environmental, social, and governance, uh, they're ranked very well, uh, not just in their group, but broadly. And there was a report on top 100 corporate citizens. They rank 59th, and people point to that. Uh, as the ESG work that they're doing. Uh, they invest a lot of time and energy in it, and, and they are very much moving forward on that. Yeah, and the diversity issue should mention also a new initiative uh, by the state's Office of Diversity and Inclusion. Uh, Who's Your Business in Action is the program, and they're basically taking 22 companies, small companies from around the state, 
doing videos to promote them, to give them to the companies to use uh, for their purposes, but also for the state to use. Yes, and it's good, it's good on a couple of fronts. Number one, it promotes diversity, which is a good thing because the more voices we have, the more players we have, the, the better the economy does. But also, uh, Indiana has also had rep under reputation for only helping sort of the big businesses. A lot of folks right. say, what about you know, my smaller business, my medium-sized business? And I think this goes a long way to showing, hey, Indiana's here, whether you're a big business, small business, as long as you're willing to work hard, mm -hmm. play by the rules, we're here to help. Yeah. I love that too. I think it's all about that small, medium-sized business promotion and giving them that same mm -hmm. opportunity, right? To, to gain new, new business, new opportunities, not just the large companies. Yep. Mary Beth Oaks, also Mike Marker, Abdul Hakeem Shabazz. Thanks one and all Thanks. for being on The Thank Insiders. You. That wraps up this week's Inside Indiana Business Television podcast. Remember, you can find all of this week's TV segments as well as the top business news from throughout the state at InsideIndianaBusiness.com. While you're there, you can also subscribe to our platform of e-newsletters. This is Alex Brown for Inside Indiana Business.